Welcome to the Conscious Conversations podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Nick Paladino King. And I'm Nitin Gerg. We are transformational coaches and yogis from the San Francisco Bay Area. And this is a podcast for people looking to take their lives to the next level. Through these conversations, we aim to raise the consciousness of our lives, the lives of our listeners, and the wholeness. So get ready to join us on this great adventure of life by taking a moment to settle in, become fully present in this moment, and see where the journey takes you next. All right, we are live. Hello, Brian and Nick. Hey. Hey. All right. Well, Brian, welcome to Conscious Conversations. Um, I know a while back I actually got introduced to you from one of my colleagues. Uh, and, and, you know, she just recommended, hey, if you're, if you're going to be having Conscious Conversations, Brian's a person that you got to speak with. You know, that was the premise of my connection with you. And then I know we had a brief 30-minute chat, just kind of getting to know each other a little bit a while back. That's Even that's, I think, been at least two months. Um, Brian, do you want to just introduce yourself briefly to the audience? Yeah, sure. And uh, I got to say, it was so nice talking to you. You know, when you meet somebody and it's like time just flies, you know? And I know that's how it was with our mutual friend, Kimberly. Um, so, yeah. So, I have a feeling today is going to fly by, too. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, my name is Brian Steffen. Uh third generation Los Angelino. So uh, grandparents, parents, and myself all from Los Angeles. I'm a proud social worker and a therapist. I focus on and I specialize and I'm interested in suicide, suicide awareness, suicide prevention, suicide bereavements. Uh, I'm also a grief therapist. So I work with individuals and groups who've experienced uh a loss and of course lots of loss over the last few years um and i'm interested in crisis response as well i'm part of a great team a volunteer cohort of angelinos who deploy as kind of like mobile grief counselors in a sense it's called the crisis response team and it's been around for 20 plus years and anytime there's any death in the city uh, whether it be homicide, suicide, accidental death, or natural death. Um, we try to go out and sit with the families or anybody impacted within 30 minutes. So I'm a proud member of that team as well. So, yep, suicide and grief. Death, death, death. Cool. Let's talk about death. I mean, death, death, death. Uh, Brian, anything you want to do to get us prepared to talk about death? A, a centering technique or something to help us get vulnerable yeah. or whatever? Uh, what's up for you on, on that? Anything that feels, yeah. feels relevant? Um, uh, yeah, well, the one thing that came to my mind is I'm part of a, a great group on Saturdays. We have a mindfulness sitting group. It's mindfulness and deep suffering, mindfulness and grief, mindfulness and suicidality. And the way that we end that group is is maybe the way that I'd like to start right now, and it's not a meditation sit exactly, but what we do at the end of each Saturday is we offer the merits of that session and we offer the merits of that meditation sit um, for all beings who are suffering. So, um, so we typically say, may this meditation sit be for the benefit of all beings. May uh, 
our practice be for the benefit of all beings and may our lives be for the benefit of all sentient beings everywhere without exception. And so I hope that our conversation here is of benefit. And so may this conversation uh, be for the uh, benefit of all sentient beings everywhere without exception. And uh, hopefully our conversation about suffering and deep suffering and connection will help. And how it'll help, I don't know, but I hope it does. And that's it. Cool. Very, uh, I love it. Very meta. Very meta meditation. So are you have a, do you have a Buddhist background at all too? With uh, teaching? Not, not very in line with some well, Buddhist teachings. Yeah. So I was raised, I was raised Jewish, kind of culturally Jewish here in Los Angeles. And, you know, I found out that there's a bar mitzvah and there's money. So I was in, <laughs> so I was, I was interested in that. But after, after that, it was like, okay, I, I got my envelope. I got my checks. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I was struggling and suffering myself. And somebody said, hey, have you heard about John Kabat-Zinn? Have you heard about mindfulness-based stress reduction? Have you heard about that? And I didn't. But I got interested and I took a class. And I thought it was pathetic that people were struggling with uh developing meditation practices for sitting for five minutes a day. I heard people complaining in that first yeah. class I took. They said, oh, I'm really struggling. I've been I've been practicing for years now and I, I'm struggling with getting five minutes each day. And I thought, you people must be so stupid. <laughs> you can't sit for five minutes. But it's taken me 10 years. And I'm just now, just now having a meditation practice, not every day, but if I'm lucky every other day, and I sit for five minutes, maybe two, and it's hard. Like it's so hard being present, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I'm kind of late in life to mindfulness or secular Buddhism, and I'm increasingly interested in 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 different forms of Buddhism right now. I'm reading Thomas Merton's book on Zen and the Birds of Appetite right now, and so I'm just trying to learn, just trying to learn. Love it. I love it. Go ahead, Nitin. Yeah, Brian, I was just kind of curious, you know, one, one thought that was just coming up for me is you, I, it's hard for me to imagine someone going to school saying, I'm going to be a suicide, suicidologist or, you know, a grief therapist. How? Do, just tell us a little bit about your life journey itself. Like, how did you come to the point of this is the work you do? This is like literally you've dedicated your life to this path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a very circuitous route. I'm not a professional musician, but I heard some somebody say once that like when you go to a guitar shop or something, like you don't pick the guitar, the guitar picks you kind of thing. And I always thought that was kind of clever and sweet. So this this stuff really picked me. By the way, am I allowed to curse? Oh, yeah. You can, you yeah. can swear all the fuck you want. Sure. <laughs> this, is a, this is a pro cursing uh, conversation. That's why, I, that's why I asked what's 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 uh, what's available and what's not, because at okay. some point I'm going to curse and talk about doing drugs. So, uh, OK, know, just... good, 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 because <laughs> because so, I teach and it's so hard to get through one class without cursing. And I teach at college, undergrad and graduate level. Thank goodness it's not high school because I think I would get in trouble <laughs> because some things can only be expressed with a fuck or a shit or a, you know what I mean? So, or goddamn, yeah, goddamn, goddamn, uh, sh sugar. <laughs> so, 
initially I was, I had a very different plan. I was interested in foreign policy and I thought traveling was kind of cool. And I thought people were interesting, even though I couldn't really figure them out. So I thought, Oh, I'll be a spy. That'll be fun. So I pursued that for several years to be an Intel officer. So it wasn't a good fit because this it doesn't make for the best spy. <laughs> Number one, you don't have a also, very spy-like looking face. I didn't yeah, know there was a, it's, a picture of what a spy should look like. <laughs> well, there are. What's interesting is that all different backgrounds, people, and when I say spy, it's actually a little bit of a of a I don't know misnomer. But when people say spies, like in the movies, it's actually there's intel officers, there's officers who recruit spies and really uh, spying is just like journalism really in that there's some information somebody wants to know and so they got to go out and they got to find that information so i thought it would be cool tuxedos sex guns repeat james bond basically james bond james <laughs> bond turns out it's not like that also for somebody with crippling anxiety having a job where you're professionally paranoid that someone's following you doesn't really make for pleasant days and nights. So I never got very far in the career, uh, and but I'm grateful for it because not only did I learn certain, um, uh, not skills, but to, I, I got some helpful reminders of the things that we know to be true, which is be nice to people. You'll get a lot more out of them if you're just nice. Don't be weird. Uh, and also I met somebody who became very close to me who is amazing and uh the last person i ever thought who would die by suicide and so that was something that it didn't put the brakes on on my life but it was something that happened and i always wondered like if she could die by suicide then what does that mean for the rest of us who are not as together and you know, she was just, she seemed like she was, I just saw a lot of myself in her. I thought someday I could be like her. And it scared me because I thought if she could die that way, then maybe I could too. So I started getting interested and a childhood friend said, hey, you know, there's ways to volunteer in suicide prevention. You might be able to make some meaning around your friend's death. You may be able to learn more about this thing, which clearly you're scared of, but there's also something there there. And so I started volunteering at a crisis hotline here in Los Angeles, and it completely changed my life. Completely from the first day, I found my tribe, people who were willing to talk about uncomfortable things, but in a way that wasn't um, like that. Mm -hmm. And I was able to learn like more. pointing at each other. Yeah. Like, you need to stop having intrusive thoughts. You need to stop self-harming. You know, how could you be so selfish? But now it was people who were just curious. Like, I'm so glad you called. Tell me more. So that was the beginning. It was six years ago. And ever since I've been suicide, I went back to graduate school. So now I'm a therapist and I've gotten interested in grief. And I've finally found a way to learn about myself, learn about other people and grow and become an adult through this deep suffering of, like I said, suicide, grief, loneliness, helplessness. And... Um, and I'm grateful. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. There's, there's something interesting that I'd like to maybe look at here. And this is when I what I'm hearing you say is you've in essence found what what I would call and maybe knitted what you like a sweet spot in life where you're doing you're doing what you love, 
you are doing something that has purpose and you're doing something that pays you. Or, you know, in Japanese, they would call us the ikigai, if you've seen that. And it sounds to me like you're almost talking about you finding your own sweet spot of pur purpose, passion, prosperity, service. Is that is that kind of where you've landed, Brian? Oh, yeah. And I'm still working on it. But it's nice to be to not to not be faking it anymore. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Yeah, it's, everything's fine. Oh, yeah. But now I can actually talk about how hard my life is because I've found a tribe. I've found I found something I can fail at and not mm -hmm. let it ruin me. And I like what you said. I, it was reminding me I heard this YouTube uh, video. It was an audio of Alan Watts presenting or speaking at like the Oxford Student Union. And it's really it's really clever. I'm sure it's easy to find. And he was talking and he goes, you may wonder why. I'm here coming all the way over here talking to you people. Um, he goes, well, I'll tell you. Uh, number one, uh, I find this really interesting. Number two, uh, I'm good at it. <laughs> number three, uh, I feel like I'm helping people. And number four, I'm getting paid. <laughs> I was like, dude, that is awesome. Awesome, awesome, I mean, that, awesome. I mean, that's bad. I mean, that's rad. That, that's kind of the, the cornerstone of my coaching practice is teaching people how to do that. But one thing that when I'm working with people around figuring out their, their future is what do you like to do? What are you good at? And then letting that determine your reality. And I, and I think it was just so cool, Brian, that you walked us through your own experience of, of going into something, being stressed, being unfulfilled, you know, and then going, wait, here's this thing I've never thought about. Here's the thing I never thought about uh, as a career and as a, as a path. And I just want to uh, acknowledge you for doing that and then sharing that. And I think it's so beautiful to give people different examples of how we can all find our own sweet spot. Uh, and it might look very, very different than what we thought or what we went to college for, what our parents wanted us to do and all the stress that we put on ourselves in this life to fit in and to make it work, which, you know, leads to pain, leads to suffering, ultimately can lead to to suicide and um just want to commend you for for finding that and and also having service is a really cool way I've i haven't heard anyone quite get into suicide you know what is it suicideology is that what yeah your practice the, is? yeah the suicideology is the name of the field but yeah suicide prevention suicide bereavement suicide awareness just talking about so and thank you i, re I really appreciate you saying that it's like we tell people that they're allowed to have not everybody has this this freedom or this luxury. There's a lot of people that can't choose this. But something that came to my mind is, it's like we don't tell people the f anymore. The first person you date, you have to marry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's that's still true for some families and some cultures and some places on Earth. But at least in the in the communities that I was growing up in, it we didn't say that the first person you take to the movies you have to marry. But so many of us are like, ah, oh, my first job fuck fuck this is forever and i wonder what it would be like to have um and maybe this covid telework weird thing we're in right now maybe people will realize yeah i don't have to marry the first management consulting or paralegal or temp job or the way it is right now is not the only thing um yeah so but thank you for what you said. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Brian, when you were um, talk, telling us, telling your story, there was a couple key things I picked up um, that you mentioned around 
like, you know, be, being able to be yourself, not having to be fake, you use the word fake, you know, and I'm curious what that was like for you before that. And also you talked about like it being okay to fail, you know, and so many of us, I think, well, many of us struggle with that, even uh, successful people struggle with that. Even after having rounds of success, you know, you're always kind of stressing about like, oh, is this next thing, this next more risky uh, either job or project or some unknown path that I might chart, you know, if the failure of that is going to haunt me for life, like tell me a little bit more about like how you've sort of learned to go from, you know, fake to what would you describe it as today? And how do you, how do you kind of help, how do you work with your clients to help them do the same? Yeah. So for me, I mean, I think the, the theme, or I think my takeaway or like my cliff notes answer to this is connection, connection to other people, connection to oneself and maybe even a connection to like, what are we doing here? Like, what am I going to do with this one precious life? What you said reminded me of, you may have heard some of these stories that whether it be the night before Super Bowl, um, the night before the World Series, the night before the Oscars, the night before the Olympics, a lot of people, um, I heard these stories of, of football players, for example, NFL football players going on benders the night before the Super Bowl game. And something about success and having it, it's like, it's not just the failures in life that are scary. The successes can be absolutely terrifying, you know? Yeah, Holy big shit. time. You know what I mean? Like, I've got it. And and either with a therapist or with a support group or with a workbook alone or with friends, you know, actually, or with somebody that you trust, you know, somebody with whom you have an emotionally safe relationship. And when I say emotionally safe or psychologically safe, I just mean somebody that doesn't tell you what to do, doesn't tell you how to feel, doesn't tell you what to think, and conversely, doesn't tell you what not to do and what not to feel and mm -hmm. what not to think. So when the, with those people in our lives, and we all need at least one, and if it's a dog or a cat, great, that works too. <laughs> it does. Um, somebody, or a, lamp, with, a lamp post we learned recently in a coaching group as well, by it's the way. Like, so. It's wet. And look at the Tom Hanks and the castaway in the volleyball. Like this shit works. So um, 12 step programs, higher power. This shit works. So something else that is not making you feel worse than you already do and something that just accepts you for how you are right now. So, but because with failure, um, if we act, so looking, so with that sense of safety, some people actually explore like, what is it? What is it? about failure that I'm so scared of, you know, this fear of failure. Now, some of us are, have fear of failure because failure means annihilation. It means banishment. It means embarrassment. It means shame. It means I have to move to Tibet and shave my head. You know, some of us failure means death, like actual death. Some of us failure means uh, letting other people down. So it's, I'm always inspired when I hear sometimes CEOs, sometimes therapists, sometimes actors, sometimes engineers, carpenters, whatever. And I'm always assuming that like they're not afraid, but I hear them say like, I'm afraid. And I picked up the phone and I called somebody and I always thought, oh, what do you have to get advice from people? It's like, oh, you just pay. ring, ring, ring. I'm scared. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Click. And that shit works. Oprah Winfrey said that Every single person she's ever interviewed, and it's quite a statement, she said every single person she's ever interviewed 
after the red light goes off, princes, actors, everybody, they lean into her and they say after the light goes off, was that okay? <laughs> Every single person. So instead of waiting for fear of failure to go away, we can acknowledge that fear of failure and fear in general, which if we didn't have fear, we probably wouldn't have survived you know, the, uh, the, the animal kingdom because we used to be part of the food chain, you know, and that fear of danger. So all of these things, it's, it's, there's a lot going on. We don't teach this in elementary schools, do we? I'm pretty sure we don't. Even social emotional learning, we don't get into this stuff. So as adults, some of us like me, I have to go back and unlearn and then relearn and then find people to be in class with and be like, isn't this great? Like we're learning about our suffering. And maybe I feel like, yeah. you know, I feel like some of the most fundamental skills, such as what you just mentioned, I was just talking the other day, even about finances, you know, um, some of these other topics, like we don't get taught some of the basics in school, I feel like, you know, not until much later in life, you struggle with through all these areas and you realize, oh, snap, I never learned this. I never learned how to handle my emotions. Because it was just kind of expected in society that somehow you were supposed to be born with that ability. Uh, or about even like managing money, which is like so fundamental to survival. So, uh, well, it, it, would break, it would break the system if we were all taught how to be social, you know, self-aware, self-caring, financially responsible, emotionally stable. That'd break the system that we live in. Because then, oh, who are you going to listen to? Yourself? Oh, that doesn't work for the... For the powers of be so i you know the ability to learn and think for yourself and and brian like you said to have someone that's not going to tell you what to do i mean the basis of a coaching practice is i don't even know what i should do half the time you know we're 50 50 if we're lucky so who are we to tell anyone else what to do or how to live or how to be right the, i think the best thing we can do in all of these situations are empower others to make the decision that's right for them and you know, if you guys, if we could take it to the suicide piece, Brian, I'd like, I've, I've had a couple of experiences of, of people calling me as their coach or someone knows me as the person to go to, to, uh, in essence, talk someone off the ledge, right? I've probably, probably four or five times I've been on the other, I've been on the receiving end of that phone call. And the stance that I've taken with this, we'd like to hear your insights is I don't know what's right for this person. Um, and held held those belief systems to the core of, I'm not going to make suicide right. I'm not going to make suicide wrong. I'm not going to tell you what to do because you're probably calling because everyone's been telling you what to do in your life. And the couple of times I've had this experience, I said, well, what do you think? I said, it's not right or wrong. What do you think? What do you want to do? And, and the people have said, well, no one's ever asked me that question before. No one's ever asked me, what do I want to do or how do I feel about this? It's, okay, well, how do wow. you feel about suicide? They go, well, I didn't know I had a choice. I didn't know I could sell all of my stuff and go to Tibet and be a monk. Or I didn't know I could stay in this job. Or I didn't know I could quit school. So, I mean, a lot of what I've experienced as being the receiver of those calls is the power in giving people permission to choose what's right for them and as the listening ear to not be attached. And, and it's, it's wild. What I've experienced is by not being attached and by listening, that's been one of the keys into people believing in themselves and choosing to live. Um, 
but I'd love to hear your take. And I'm not trained in this. This is just kind of intuitive things that I've learned from my teachers and experience. But uh, what, what's, you know, what's your insights? What's your takes? I love, I mean, what you just said is so great. A little too good. You're going to put me out of work. I don't like that. Um, there's, this, 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 this is my job. You can own, okay. you can own this field. I'm happy this, to help when I need me. Okay. I need, you but... stay out of the suicide game, yo. <laughs> <laughs> you have it. I'm here. I'm here to serve, but I don't. This is like the Sopranos. Okay, this is this is. There's the mafia. We're just number. serving you, Brian. We're just yeah. <laughs> no, what you said is so beautiful, and it's true. But like money, like sex and intimacy, death and dying, and mortality and suicide, all the things that we all think of, we're not allowed to talk about it. So when people are thinking about things that they're not allowed to be thinking of, or thinking about things that they're not allowed to be entertaining, it's a it, Again, the, the fear, there's shame. So if people are lucky enough to have someone like you, Nick, and they and again, you don't need training. Unfortunately, even with grief, just as a quick aside, with grief, how unfortunate that because death and dying and mortality and grief are such taboo topics that mm -hmm. we can't even talk to each other when when there's a death in our communities. You know, the opposite of life isn't death. The op death is a part of life. The opposite of life is is non-life. It's like a piece of cardboard. So how sad is it that we're not able to talk about the things that happen, including when people uh, uh, die around us? So back to the suicide thing. Yeah, that person or those people and people in the future who call you and say, I am so hopeless and I feel so helpless. And I feel so disconnected. And the one that people sometimes don't appreciate is I'm so exhausted. Mm. I'm so exhausted. Every day I wake up and I've got five seconds sitting, laying on the pillow. Five seconds I wake up. And then after five seconds, I remember my life. And then another day of this. It's exhausting. And then they talk to somebody, hopefully like you, and so I just, I don't know. I think I'm kind of done. And instead of saying like, wait, what, 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 how could you, what, oh my gosh, nine, one, you know, start dialing nine, one. Mm -hmm. Instead, someone like you can say, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying out loud what we all feel like sometimes. And the research mm -hmm. does tell us this. We know this now because there is a field of suicidology and we've been studying it since the sixties here in this country after Marilyn Monroe's death. Where the field started in earnest now we know that everyone almost everyone if not everyone will at some point in their lives just think what would it be like to not be here anymore would it be better or worse it's just what human minds do so and you can say to them uh you could get curious about it like the way that we can get curious about a feeling or a sensation or a thought in a meditation i'm curious why uh why haven't you uh tried suicide yet See, i've been thinking about it for three years why haven't you tried and because it's these questions might seem a little jarring, but just looking at it, it's like, yeah, why couldn't I ask them that? Why can't we ask each other about the things that we think about and letting people know that, you know, you're allowed to think what you think. Sometimes it feels like there's the thought police. Ooh, I had a, <laughs> I had a blasphemous thought. I had a mm -hmm. sexual thought. I had a violent thought. I had a, a thought of self-harm. I had a thought of jerking the wheel. You're, you're allowed to think about all of those things. 
a lot of people call the crisis hotline and it's not the thoughts of suicide that are so upsetting it's the thoughts about the thoughts why am i thinking about suicide what's wrong with me you're a human being we all think about suicide so nick i'm glad you did what you did because that is a, that's how to help real help i guess i mean what i'm hearing is you're giving people permission is kind of the word you didn't use that word but i'm hearing that in the background if you're giving people permission um and also to for all of us to acknowledge we're not our thoughts if if we were our thoughts every one of us would be locked up in jail if these things were out there if our thoughts were out there running around um and so permission to be curious permission to talk about things that matter permission to use the word death or dying or died that's one that is not prevalent in our culture right they say oh they passed away they're no longer with us we lost real let's get honest we lost no they died yeah so i'm loving this piece of permission to ask the question of well why haven't you well i guess i don't really want to or i guess there's things i'm not sure about or i guess i'm not sure i mean i mean i the curiosity there is next level um wow and what we find out when we're curious whether the researchers the people on the front lines therapists what happens when we start getting curious we know that nobody and i'm not talking about physician assisted suicide that's like a separate thing but just mm-hmm. on this topic of suffering, deep suffering, disconnection, hopelessness, helplessness, this piece and suicide, what we find is that nobody wants to be dead. We do have a kind of a, a knit, and I remember we talked about this before, I think. We all have kind of like this biological thrust to kind of be here and keep doing this. So suicide is not about being dead. Suicide, it's when the pain of being alive is so great that we want that to stop. We want to stop that. And so we think of our minds, think about how could this suffering stop? Okay, I could drink. Yeah, I could move. Yeah, I could kill myself. Yeah, I could, uh, you know, and that's what minds do. Mm-hmm. And if you can look at it, looking at it from, I guess you'd call that a strengths-based perspective, and the mindfulness world and the strengths-based perspective worlds offer us so really, I think, a great lens. Wow, what can we learn about ourselves from these thoughts of suicide? And as Thich Nhat Hanh said, uh, it is within the world of deep suffering, not when it's fine and out, but it's within the world of deep suffering that there is a world of connection and equanimity and love and compassion and enlightenment. And turns out, we can learn so much about ourselves, other people, life, love in the conversations about suicide, in those moments, in those feelings, and like grief, like trauma, just like we have post-traumatic growth, we have post-grief growth. turns out that when you actually sit, and we, we have a series at, at the, um, the Mindfulness Center here in Los Angeles, we call it sitting with suicide, <laughs> and that's what we do. We sit. And when we sit with it, instead of being like, fuck, all of a sudden we can learn and we grow. Like, like you as a practitioner, you're sitting with it or you are sitting there with a client? Sort well, of- we do this in a, we have a group, we have a mindfulness uh, practice group and an affinity group. And so we, we talk about suicide. We share some of the reflections like we've done here. And then we create a space where people can talk about 
yeah, you know, I attempted when I was 16. I took a bunch of pills. I just woke up the next morning. No one knows. I never told anybody. And it just feels good to be able to say it here. And we get it. And someone else says, yeah, I lost my sister. And I just I just wish I could find a group that I could talk to and they don't judge me. And it's just this nodding, this, you know, the way that we do when we sit together. It's like your back hurts. Yeah, I get it. You know, so is that needs. kind of what you what you trace sort of the root to is like a person who may be thinking about it usually is experiencing some sort of loss of connection to others oh, yeah. around them and, and, and is really like sort of uh, almost feels like, you know, there's a there's a massive layer of judgment falling upon them and hence pain that they're trying to escape. Is that is that the right way to think about it? The, yeah, that's the, it's not the only way to think about it, but. That's the way, that's the Thomas Joyner, who's a, a, a researcher and a suicidologist, he has a, an interpersonal theory of suicide, and that's what he talks about. There's, and if somebody Googles it, Thomas Joyner, interpersonal theory of suicide, you'll see these Venn diagrams, and the overlap of which is where kind of highest risk of suicidal, suicidality is. And it's exactly in these disconnections, a feeling of, uh, a bur being a burden to other people or feeling disconnected from others. And yeah, for me, connection is, is, uh, is really at the heart of it. And when we're disconnected from other people, when we're disconnected from ourselves, when we're disconnected to what am I going to do with this life? A lot of, some of us walk around thinking like, oh, this is just the rehearsal. Like I'll, I'll, I'll do it better next time. Yo, there is no next time. This, this is not the rehearsal. This is the show. So, mm -hmm. When we're disconnected, life gets really hard. And so uh, providing spaces for people to get reconnected to their own experience, others, um, it makes a huge difference. Maybe it's everything. Yeah. Well, there's this is it's interesting. You know, this is bringing up some some memories for me and to share um, kind of in, in, in connection to the, this group you've made, Brian, when I was when I was 16. Uh, my best friend and I at the time came home to his house and we found his mother uh, in the bathtub with her arms slit open. Uh, and us at 16 years old put tourniquets on her, called 911. Uh, and because we found her, we, we saved her life. And I never got counseling about this. I never uh, had someone sit down and say, what was your experience like? I never had someone to sit with and express. And I'm just thinking man, how differently that could have gone for me if there was a group like yours um, where it was okay to talk about this or where it was acknowledged or where it was, you know, tools were given. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's 20 years ago. We've grown and changed a lot, but man, I would that would have been fantastic as a resource to have, um, you know, and who knows how much pain that would have saved me and, and her and him as well. But uh, just that's making me wish, you know, I know I can't change anything, but making me wish I had had someone like you in my life at that point or had known about that resource, you know, or my school knew about it or whatever, or my teachers knew about it, my parents. So, man, that's, that's just, uh, it's moving. It's yeah, bringing, bringing up some old, old emotions and, and, and all good too, but man, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad you were there really. And that, you know, if it was, if it was today and you and I were in a school here in Los Angeles, maybe on the back of our student ID, Maybe we'd be one of one of the schools where they have the the hotline number post on the wow. back of their ID card. Maybe, you know, but but it's hard. There's so much suffering and silence. 
and it's the my friend who died it wasn't the suffering that killed her it was it was the silence it was the suffering and silence and we can't stop the suffering right if only right i wish there was something i could do today to stop what's happening in europe climate change homelessness like all of it right of course and but we can't but what we can do is we can do something about the silence and whether that means those who are i mean it's everything it's substance use it's eating disorders it's uh incest survivors it's those who have attempted suicide and survived those who've lost someone to suicide depression every anxiety everything losing a job you know mm -hmm. living out of your car because that's the only that's that's what 2022 looks like for you right now and it's not the suffering that we have to stop because we can't but the suffering in silence we we can and we should attend to the suffering as a social worker i believe that it's important to to support people and acknowledge that if people do find themselves living in their car it's not because of their lack of uh, ingenuity or poor a weak follow through or their incompetence. No, I, it's important to acknowledge the structural issues and the systematic uh, variables, issues. But um, but the silence, the silence. So I'm glad you two have this space here where you could do something about the silence and people can be listening and saying like, mm -hmm. oh, shit, me too. Oh, shit. Maybe I don't have to keep this to myself for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, it's uh, one of the things that happened with me once I uh, had that conversation with you, Brian, you know, like I was mentioning about two months ago. And this kind of, I think it, it is such a taboo topic, you know, especially suicide. Like I think even more than death, suicide is even more taboo to talk about because it is one of those, it's like, it's probably the one of the, probably one of the most taboo subjects to even touch or discuss or ever bring up with anyone and I remember being on the call with you and that, that was like your specialty. I was like, wow, here's someone who like literally is focused on just this. And then a week or two later, I kind of just kind of had a feeling that like, okay, you know, maybe one of my relatives I felt was under really high pressure going through something in life. And you talked about, you know, the sense of connection and it made me want to reach out to that person. And, you know, when I, ha when I had a few minutes with them one-on-one -on -one in private, I said, Hey, how are you feeling? Is everything okay? You know, um, does the thought of hurting yourself ever cross your mind or anything like that? Because I know you're under a ton of pressure. You know, if it does, I'm here and I want you to know if you ever need to talk to someone, please do not hesitate to talk to me about this. Um, and I don't know if what impact that had on that person or not. You know, hopefully I didn't create a judgment of like, oh my God, they think that, that you know, I might do something to myself. Uh, but at the same time, I just, I just kind of had this feeling within me that I wanted them to know that if they ever felt like they needed someone to talk to that wouldn't judge them and that they could just express themselves, that they could reach out. And maybe from this conversation, at least one thing I'm taking away and even what Nick shared was whether it's you catch, your, catch someone, you know, come across someone actually committing an act that might be harmful to them or... It's just you see someone under tremendous amount of pressure, like maybe just offering that sense of connection, right, is probably the least we can do is to just help alleviate any 
portion of that suffering. We can't yeah, stop, right. stop the suffering itself. We can't change the whole system entirely, but at least that human connection we can present. That's beautiful, man. And I'm glad you said that to them. And and it sometimes we feel like, oh, it's the least I could do. And it feels like, okay, I'm just saying these words, but you never know. You never know. Another person might be like, holy shit, this is the first person who didn't say to me, let me know if, if uh, you need anything from me. Let me know if I can help. Let me know. Let me know. It's like after a, a loss in a family. You know, call me if you need anything. Oh, great. Thank you. Now there's another thing. I need to worry about is me letting you know how you can help me instead. Again, if they're lucky to talk to someone like you, Nick, or you, Nitin, it's like somebody just says, thank you. Thank you for saying that. If you ever don't know what to say to somebody, say, thank you. Thank you for what you just said. Whoa. And saying things, you know, empathetic statements. Some people don't know what an empathetic statement is because empathy is a kind of a weird word for some of us. Like, Am I doing it? Like, when am I, you know, empathy is a kind of is a this tricky good word. Enough? How about now? <laughs> am, I, am I empathizing yet? Am I empathizing yet? Am I, doing I, am I empathizing good enough? And I was like, wait, have I started? Um, like, I know when I'm angry. <laughs> I'm pretty, I know when I'm fucking <laughs> <That's> angry. <clear. laughs> I don't know when I'm doing empathy. So sometimes I think that my empathy, it's like a little bit of humility, a little bit of curiosity. Sometimes I worry that I'm being nosy. But if I mix my nosiness with humility, it kind of becomes curiosity. And then that feels something like I can operationalize better than empathy, curiosity and humility. So I say all that to say that empathy, these are, these are empathetic statements. You must be so overwhelmed given everything you just said to me. I can't believe what you've been through the last three months. That is an empathetic statement. Mm -hmm. You must be exhausted. I can't believe what he did. That's unbelievable, right? And no but, <laughs> but, you know, I love your sweater, but, but your hair, it's like, we're all waiting for that but. We're all waiting for somebody to say but and tell us, okay, you, you wrote an okay paper, but, but instead of all that but shit, what about and, you know, mm -hmm. or what about just nothing else? You must be exhausted. And I'm so glad that we're talking about this. Or you must be living in a nightmare right now, a nightmare. And because of the taboo, this is. Now I'm not talking to them anymore because of the taboos and the stigma and the misunderstandings and the myths and all the bullshit. We think that by saying the word suicide, it's like, it's like COVID in the early days. It was super <laughs> contagious. It was like, Oh my God, yeah, I've got exactly I've got, the analogy. <laughs> I know I've got suicide on my hand. Oh my God, I've got it on. Oh my, take your shoes off. There's suicide on me. Uh, but talking about things like sex, we know now that teaching sex ed in schools does not make people have sex. In fact, just the opposite. It helps people practice safe sex and be responsible and communicate. So we don't have suicide education. We don't have grief education. But mm. if we talk about emotions, people don't get worse, provided we don't tell people how to feel and mm. what to think and what to do. And it's hard, especially when it's your father or your son or your girlfriend or your neighbor because of course you want again 
of course we want the suffering to go away. You know, can't you just leave them? But as hard as it can be to resist, if just for right now, we just resist those buts, we resist those advice, you know, oh, maybe you should just, have you ever thought about cutting your bangs? Like, that's not what we need right now. A lot of people call the Christ hotline because of bad haircuts and bad tattoos. Wow. So if somebody has a bad haircut, the last thing they need is someone to say, you know, in six weeks, your hair is going to grow out and everything's going to be fine. Like, that's the worst shit that you could say to somebody. What about right now, buddy? Yeah, right now. Right now. And then here's another sentence that you can say to people. Empathetic statements. You know, it totally makes sense that you're having thoughts of suicide. 100%. 100%. I get it. And if I was in your shoes, I think I'd be having the same thoughts too. And letting people know, you know, sometimes when people get divorced, they have thoughts of suicide. It happens to a lot of us. You know, sometimes when people get fired after working for a company for 20 years, they have thoughts of suicide. You know, sometimes after people are sober for a long time and they relapse, they have thoughts of suicide. Are, are you having those type of thoughts? And letting people know that they are not broken. They're not sick. They're not. And we used to think that in the field. Early mm-hmm. days, it was suicide was because of, this is the language they use, it's real yucky, major mental illnesses. It was the sickness of mental illness contributed to suicidality. Now we know that, and so they thought, fix the fix the mental health and the suicide will go away. But now we know that it's like you both were saying earlier, when we're disconnected, when we're alone, when we're suffering in silence, when we have to rely on our own, I'll just figure it out on my own. That's when suicide and feelings of hopelessness and helplessness grow. And um, I'm glad that we're talking about it because we can't, like I said, I'm just repeating myself now. We can't stop the suffering. But what we can do is stop the suffering in silence. And then people learn, wait, I'm not on the outside of the tent. You know, in the, you know, the Christmas movie, a little kid mm-hmm. looking in the frosted glass window and they're all eating their dinner and everything's all happy. It's like, no, you're not on the outside. It's, it's a, what you're going through actually means you belong inside. Come on in. I want to hear more. So I guess that's yeah, how it there's, works. There's, there's a piece I'm hearing. This is all so good. It, it's, it doesn't really matter what we're talking about. If it's suicide, if it's sex, if yeah. it's, you know, alcoholism, if it's drug use, it's what I, I think what I'm hearing you say is there's the suffering and then there's bringing suffering into the light. So let's shine some light on the darkness and let's take an honest look at it. And what I'm also hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if we're able to look at something in a non-judgmental way or, at, you know, kind of a, from a zoom out, we can say, wow, let's take a look at this thought. Let's just unpack it. Let's take a look. And by not making it right, by not making it wrong, it allows the person uh, to analyze it, and then from there, make a decision. And also, I mean, I'm also hearing the sense of normalizing this, right? I mean, in some of the stress management work I do with people, I'm going every call I get, someone's saying the same thing as you, and they're and people are going, "Wait, what do you mean? I'm not crazy. What do you mean? I'm not the first person that was stressed or suicidal or considering, you know, having an affair, or quitting my job." It's like, no, you're normal. 
That's called being human. That's this experience that we're going through. And man, when you see the, the look on someone's face, when you say, oh yeah, I've had those thoughts. Sure. Yeah. It's so oh, It's this like is, the most powerful thing in the world. It's like all that judgment melts off of their being, off of their emotions, off their mind. And that's where I would go to compassion, you know, even with empathy of compassion of, I hear where you are. I see where you are. There's, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm here to support you. I'm here to serve you. And wherever you are is perfect. And whatever you want to do is right. And how do we help people get to those decisions? And I think it's through shining the light on the darkness and, and letting darkness be okay because we've all got darkness. That's part of, part of duality. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and I love continuing that. to have conversations like this is, is where I we go. It. And I mean, it's awesome. It's so, it's so amazing. Letting people know that this is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. What's happening mm -hmm. is super fucked up right now. This is terrible. This is a normal reaction to chaos all happening all around you. Change. Maybe, maybe all grief is, and there's a lot of grief going around these days. Um, grief is when we can't have what we want. And when it comes to you know grief, like uh, as a grief therapist, loss of uh, loved ones, humans, pets, uh, companions, um, the one thing that people want they can't have is their wife back mm. or their son back. But we also can't get our 2020 back. We can't get our bangs back. We can't get our job back. We can't get our boyfriend back. We can't get our uh, old uh, spine back. So grief is, it's so hard. And, um, and letting people know that it's like you were, like you were saying, it's really beautiful that, it makes sense. You're, you're handling this <laughs> correctly, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's like, and it's, and people love hearing that because people love hearing the truth. You're handling, this is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. And um, I'm the glad we're talking about it. It's the we, it's we, you know, it's a we thing. There, there's so much, I think like even personal judgment that gets put on in the situation, right? It's not even just, there is judgment from others, but also like the person who's experiencing the feelings judging themselves you know and brian you were describing this earlier where it was like hey i'm not like genetically flawed this is just a uh where i find myself based on all the life experiences that i'm going through you know and so there's there's something do you i'm kind of curious do you come across that point of view does you know a lot does that happen in terms of folks feeling like maybe oh is there something wrong with me in terms of every, every single every okay. single person every single person who calls now okay i'm i'm i mean maybe that maybe i'm over generalizing but maybe i'm not every single person who calls the crisis hotline every single person who comes into therapy myself because i'm in therapy uh everybody in a support group to a certain extent but they're coming because they feel like i am not doing my life right in some way and we 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 are wired for connection we need each other you know they say like we're wired for connection but the little bit that they leave off at the end of that is we're wired for connection in a world of impermanence and that fucking sucks mm -hmm. so something happens we lose our we lose Ooh, our. that was good can you can you say that one more time sorry to cut you off that was yeah, well, we're, we're, we're wired. And as a grief therapist, I'm just now learning this, that why 
we're wired for connection. It is great. We need each other. We're like, we're like chimpanzees. We need to like, you know, to do our thing. And, but we're wired for connection in a world of impermanence because shit does not last. But mm -hmm. so, you know, friends, teachers, loved ones, my relationship with the Brian from 10 years ago, all that shit changes. So it's, it, it's really, really hard. So a lot of us, and I say us, we call a hotline, we go see a therapist, we go to a 12-step program, we go to a mindfulness retreat. Um, some people fall victim to people who are trying to do some nasty stuff. Like I saw that documentary on the Nexium kind of sex cults. There's some people that are doing some very bad things, you know, under the guise of, come on in, we'll sort you out. Because we're all, I still feel like, ah, I'm just not doing my life right in a certain mm -hmm. way. And so thank goodness for these safe harbors, a, a true, true safe a refuge where people say, yeah, this is happening to me. And you, the thing about the hotline is I, I, it's not transactional. It's a volunteer workforce, which is a really beautiful thing. It's volunteers, 24-7, anonymous if people want. And people call in. I think that's the, the first thing that really hit me, like right in the heart, was I had never heard that kind of honesty before. There was something about right. people calling and saying, you know, my my girlfriend, we've been dating for a few years and, you know, I hurt my I hurt my back and um, I wasn't able to be intimate with her. And and then she slept with my best friend. And I wonder if it wasn't for my spine damage that I would have been able to have been intimate with her. Maybe she wouldn't have done that. And I've just never heard people talk that way before. I've never heard people say, you know, like, yeah, I'm holding the belt in my hand right now. And I don't know what to do. Last time I called this crisis line, I talked to a counselor who was the worst. They kept telling me um, to, to, to practice self-care and self-love. And it made me so fucking angry. And I'm listening to this. And I'm like, this is just honesty. And there was a little voice in my own head saying, maybe, Brian, you can be this honest someday, too. Mm -hmm. And um, witnessing it. And it's in the witnessing, you know, that the healing happens. Because uh, the cool thing about emotional safety and psychological safety, the kind that I feel with you both um, right now in this nice conversation as we finish, is for right now, I am not thinking about the future. You know, some people say anxiety is about the future, depression is about the past. So I spend most of my day in the future and I spend most of my day in the past, you know, thinking about, oh, what's it going to be like in 10 years? And, oh, thinking about all my exes and, oh, my God, what if, what if, what if? Maybe I should have done this in school. Oh, oh where am I going to live when I'm 50? So most of our day, it's future past, future past. I know I'm not the only one. But when I'm with people who accept me for how I am and they're nice and they smile, even when I'm talking about suicide, like you two have been, which is nice because most people are like, you know, uh, all of a sudden. Coming around the corner to accepting that this is a, not a taboo topic to talk right. about. Right. And so with, with uh, I'm able to, so this is the cool thing. And it happens to therapy, coaching, friends, anybody really. It's I can talk and I can think out loud and I can feel out loud. And because I feel safe with you, I'm not thinking about, oh, what are these guys going to think about what I'm about to say? 
and I'm not thinking, oh, what do these guys think about what I just said? I'm actually mm -hmm. present. And when I'm thinking out loud and I'm feeling out loud and I'm present, the real magic happens, which is I can say what I need to hear today. And because I'm present, I can actually hear my own words. I can actually hear them because most times that it doesn't always happen. So I can hear me say, because I'm thinking and I'm feeling out loud, I say, I think I need to get back into therapy. And it wasn't the coach who said it. It wasn't the therapist. Therapists aren't supposed to say shit like that. You should, you should. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It's when the client, when the, the other human being says, I just want to finish college. Bye. I just want, or I just want, I just want to be happy. I just want to be, and we can say the things that we need to hear today and have somebody who's supportive who can say, yo, you just said something amazing. Sometimes we miss it. What did I say? You just said some amazing shit. Let me tell you what you just said. So it's this interesting we thing going on, but because we can't do it alone. We need some, we need other people. I mean, we can't, life's a team sport. Can't do it alone. That, that's the, that's the critical connection bit. Well, that that allows that to come life. out, allows you to express yourself. Yeah. I love that. Life's a team sport. Well, uh, we're, we're out of time. We could keep talking for hours, I'm sure. But Brian, I want to thank you for being with us, for being uh, fearless, you know, for, for taking on things that are scary, but don't have to be. That's a big takeaway I have from, from today. Mm -hmm. But is there, um, so anyways, for us, for, for people to get in contact with you or anything that you have going on right now that you want to tell our listeners about, and some of these notes will be in the uh, the notes too, so they'll have their access to the website there. But yeah, anything you want to I'll, share that you've got going on? Yeah, I'll put I'll, I'll give you my information. Like I said, we've got that Saturday mindfulness and deep suffering affinity and practice group, which I'm really proud to be a part of. Um, but yeah, I uh, if people have questions, please reach out. If people want information, resources, yeah, I mean, I think maybe that is a nice way to end it. Life's a team sport, and that doesn't. And in a team, I don't have to do everything. You two don't have to do everything, but we can yes. all be of service. And um, mm -hmm. I've benefited tremendously by learning. And I know this sounds a little bit weird to, and maybe it sounds, maybe it's a bit strange to end on, but um, I'm finally learning how to suffer, you know, learning how to suffer versus trying to avoid suffering. And as I mentioned, the Thich Nhat Hanh reflection and all the things that we can learn and grow and all the wisdom in suffering. And so maybe combining that Ram Dass quote, you know, the great one, which is maybe we're all just walking each other home. Mm -hmm. And this idea that we can help each other learn how to suffer in a way that doesn't destroy us. And learning how to suffer, um, which there is suffering in the world. Turns out the Buddhists are right there is suffering and we can learn how to suffer learn about the alleviation of suffering and um and stay connected so thanks for posting my information if people want to reach out um if they have questions about anything i said uh please i i'd love to i'd love to you know be connected and thank you both for doing what you're doing because you're helping others feel less alone and uh that is that's something it really is. It means a lot. And you'll never know the impact you have on your words. But as somebody who's benefited from from people like yourselves, I can tell you that this shit feels great. When we hear people like you two talking, it makes us feel like, okay, I'm not alone. And so thank you both.
Thank you for bringing uh, light to this critical topic uh, in a way that, that people can relate to and, you know, um, actually get beyond the, the taboo-ness of it um, and get it out into the open. So yeah, that that's the that's the purpose we're hoping this vehicle will keep serving and is serving. So thank you for being on here, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, and thanks for letting me curse, too. <laughs> totally. Fuck yeah. You fuckers are great. I fucking love you guys. <laughs> the best fucking conversation I've ever I've ever had about suicide. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, All right. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Ciao. Thanks for listening in. If you want any more information about our guest today, uh, about any of the sessions or, or offerings that were presented, uh, as well as about myself, Nitin, or Nick here, you can find all the links to our websites and how to get in touch with us through the episode notes. And as always, don't forget, if you like what you heard, share it with friends and family, spread the love, spread the collective consciousness, and help us raise the consciousness as a whole.